looking for great Catholic books in the Philippines? Check out Dumb Ox Books. Dumb Ox Books is an online Catholic bookstore that offers a wide selection of curated Catholic books from apologetics to the saints to spiritual reading. They have it. Check out their website at dumboxbooks.com.ph. You may also check their Facebook page, facebook.com slash dumboxbooks. D-U-M-B-O-X-B-O-O-K-S. Abby Johnson is a former director of Planned Parenthood, the largest abortion provider in the USA. Now she's one of the most prominent pro-life speakers in the planet. How did that happen? Well, listen to The Jay Aruga Show. How is everybody doing? Welcome to the J. Arga Show, the first conservative podcast in the Philippines. Our next guest was a planned parenthood director in Texas. She had a powerful conversion story and is now a pro-life speaker. Her journey is detailed in the book Unplanned, which is also the title of the film adaptation. So ladies and gentlemen, it's an honor to have her in the podcast, Abby Johnson. Howdy, Abby. No, well, howdy. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. How's everything in your side of the planet? Oh, it's it's great. It's a busy time. School's mm-hmm. back and my kids are in school and mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's it's good. Right, thanks for accepting my invite. I know you're busy. Of course. Yeah, yeah. no, I'm glad to be on. Yeah, so so I, I I'll just get right down to the questions. I, I'm interested to know, Abby, where were you when you heard the news? that Roe was overturned. How was the Mm. feeling back Mm -hmm. then? Yeah, so every year um, I host a conference. Uh Uh, It's called the Pro-Life Women's Conference. And it's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of women that come together every year. And um, it's just a, it's a really awesome weekend. And we learn from each other and network together. And so we didn't know exactly when the the ruling was going to come down but we had heard mm-hmm. that it was going to be either that friday or monday mm-hmm. and so um at we knew the the rulings came out at 10 a.m so we were all on our phones we were down mm-hmm. together uh at the conference just mm-hmm. hitting refresh on our phones <laughs> over and over again. And then finally it came out and just, I mean, hundreds of pro-life women together, just screaming and hugging each other and crying. I just, I couldn't imagine being anywhere else. Um, It was such a powerful moment. I mean, Uh so many of us have been affected by abortion in different Mm -hmm. ways, you know, whether it was those of us who had worked in the abortion industry or Mm -hmm. had had abortions ourselves. There were many women there who, were birth moms, um, mm. you know, they'd place children for adoption or, I mean, just so many different ways that we had been impacted um, by Roe v. Wade. And so it was really powerful to all be there together. Nice. Were you at one time scared of the backlash by the pro-abortion side? Because I saw in the news that some Catholic churches were vandalized and 
there's supposed to be this summer of rage. Did that materialize? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean that that really didn't didn't that really wasn't realized and it really mm. didn't come to fruition. I mean, there was a few, you know, pregnancy centers that had some damage. But um I have a really I have a really um pretty high intensity security team. Mm. So uh they're always watching um and making sure that there's nothing going on there's no like threats to my home or mm. um anything like that and so i wasn't really i wasn't really concerned i mean we do mm. have that in place and um it, it you know said, i mean it said I, you need I, to I resort think, to that <laughs> yeah it is but i mean i think you can just sort of i mean you can choose to you know, live in fear or you mm. can, you know, you can make decisions that are responsible and mm. protect yourself and then just continue to live your life, you know? Mm. And, and so that's, that's what we do. I mean, we're not dumb. We're smart. We, of course, yeah. you know, yeah. take precautions. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, then you just have to go on and live your life. Mm. What are, what are the things that the pro-life movement did right at that point that led to the overturning of Roe v. Reid? I guess everything. So I think, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I think that legislatively mm. we did a lot of right things, uh, you know, when it comes down to the state legislation. So, I mean, obviously that's, that's really what got us to this place, right? So mm. we had this, you know, big federal battle, right? And that's, that's what Roe v. Wade was. It was this mm. federal Supreme Court battle. And we knew that the only way that you can overturn something federally is to challenge it at the state level. Yeah. And so, you know, the smart thing to do was to sort of chip away at abortion rights in a constitutional way mm. until, you know, you got to a point where you said, okay, our Supreme Court is now favorably pro-life right mm -hmm. and so that's what we did i mean we just kept making life more and more difficult for the abortion uh, industry uh, we kept making it more and more difficult for them to kill babies yes yes and um we kept making their life more difficult mm -hmm. and then eventually you know thanks be to God that, mm. you know, Trump was our president mm. for four years, mm. we were able to have three, yeah. not just pro-life justices, but three constitutionalist justices mm. who were able to look at the Constitution and say, mm. the United States Constitution does not allow a right to abortion, mm. period. Mm. And so they were able to look at that because of good, proper state legislation that had been passed and they were able to look at that and say, okay, now is the right time mm. to pick up a case and overturn Roe. Mm. And I imagine you need to be proactive in there. You can't just sit around. Uh, you need to to have the movements uh, moving <laughs> in all places. Yeah. Because yeah, it, I it mean, is, yeah. Well, I, I can't remember who said it. Maybe it was Clarence Thomas or I don't remember who it was, mm. but somebody said, you know, um, a parked car is never barked at. Right. Mm, and yeah. that's, that's true. You have to be moving. Mm -hmm. You have to be always trying to move that ball forward. And that's mm. what the pro-life movement was always doing. So, mm. 
you know, we were never just asleep saying, oh, you know, poor us, mm. you know, well, you know, Roe didn't go our way. And so mm. now abortion's legal and there's nothing we can do about it. You know, mm. there were people praying out in front of abortion clinics, you know, saving babies that mm. way. There were people, you know, at the state level, you know, challenging laws, getting laws passed, making it difficult to perform abortions. There were, you know, pregnancy centers, over 2,500 pregnancy centers in the country, mm. turning women away from abortion, showing women, you know, ultrasounds, showing them life inside of the womb. There were so many different ways that we were combating mm. abortion, you know, through advocacy, activism, prayer, being on the sidewalk, you know, legislatively, so many different ways that we were moving and it was hard to hit us, right? Because yeah. we were just like a constant, like moving target. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then eventually, you know, you win. Yeah. I'd like to talk, Abby, on some parts of your journey from being the director of Planned Parenthood, the biggest abortion provider in the planet, uh, yeah. to, to becoming one of the most prominent pro-life speakers in the planet. And my yeah. goal is to just whet the appetites of the listeners for them to read the whole story in your book. Because there there might be some mild spoilers here, guys. Okay. <laughs> mild, only mild. And I'll tell you beforehand, Abby, that the Philippines is a place where abortion is illegal in all yeah. cases. Some yeah. of the things we'll hear from you might sound foreign to us. And you, you already said something that sounds foreign to us, like praying in front of abortion clinics because we don't have abortion clinics here. Right. So I, I'd like to start by asking how does a young woman from Texas ever got attracted in working for Planned Parenthood? Well, I mean, I, I think, um, I think it was, you know, primarily because I had my own abortion mm -hmm. um, when I was 20. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, you know, was young. I didn't grow up that way. I didn't grow. I grew mm. up in a, I have amazing parents, mm. you know, Christian conservative mm. parents. I grew up in church, but we didn't talk about abortion. Mm. We didn't, you know, no. it just, abortion was not something that was talked about in my church. Mm. We didn't talk about it in my home. I think my parents were just like, that's really unpleasant and mm -hmm. so we're just not going to talk about that with our little girl and so we didn't mm -hmm. and um and so you know i think i went to college and you know then just really succumbed to the world you know and mm -hmm. got into a relationship with a guy that was quite a bit older than me and um got pregnant and, you know, I, I never even thought about talking to my parents about it, you know, mm. never thought about adoption, never thought about, you know, reaching out to somebody and saying, hey, I really don't know what to do. I mean, my boyfriend at the time said, you know, well, we'll just get an abortion. Mm. And I was like, well, okay. I mean, I, I didn't know what else to do. Mm. And I thought it would be really embarrassing for my parents if I had a baby. My dad's a deacon in the church. Mm. You know, my mom plays the piano for the church. You know, it would be really embarrassing for their daughter to come home pregnant. Mm. 
And so I thought, I'm just going to save everybody the embarrassment and have an abortion. And so I was young and really naive. And I can say, honestly, Jay, like I never even thought about it being a baby. Mm. Um, I just thought of it being this big problem that I needed to solve. Mm. And so I had the abortion. Um, honestly, I felt really relieved when it was over. Um, I didn't feel like any guilt or anything like that immediately oh. after. And then it was a year later that I met a woman who was with Planned Parenthood. I didn't have my my first abortion at Planned Parenthood. And um, she was with Planned Parenthood and she started talking to me about how Planned Parenthood does all this amazing, all, all these amazing services for women and how they're there to help women. And I thought, well, yeah, I mean, I want to help women, right? Like, who doesn't want to help course, women, yeah. you know? <laughs> and um, she started talking about how if women don't have access to abortion, then they go to these really dangerous, dirty clinics. And that resonated with me because I had just had an abortion the year before. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, I mean, what if I hadn't had access to an abortion? Mm -hmm. You know, what, what would have happened to me? Right. Mm -hmm. And so um, I thought, okay, well, if I don't help other women get abortions, then I'm just a big hypocrite. So I guess I need to help other women get abortions, mm. right? I had one, so I guess I need to help other women. Yeah. Um, but I have to say, I I knew it was wrong because I started working there and I was working there for a year and a half mm. before I told my parents what I was doing. Mm. And yeah. um, I knew it was wrong. I knew my parents wouldn't like it. But I think I was trying to, well, first I had to gather up the courage to tell my parents I was working at an abortion clinic. Mm -hmm. And then I thought if I, maybe I could like get enough stories. Like, oh. <laughs> I don't know. I thought if I get enough like good stories, you know, or, mm. or sad mm. stories about how women, you know, need abortions, yes, then yes. I'll convince my parents that I'm doing a good thing, you know? Yeah, but that didn't that didn't work. I mean, when I told my parents I was mm. working at Planned Parenthood, they were like, "That's bad." I mean, mm. this is not this is not good. You should not be working there. But I I went on. You know, once I was in, I really felt like I was doing the right thing. I really felt like I was helping women, and I ended up working there for eight years. Yeah, yeah, I I read in the book, and ultimately you you wanted you have good intentions when you yeah. started working there. I love in the book uh, how you describe this fence and in yeah. front of the in, in front of Planned Parenthood. On one side there were pro-lifers, and on the mm -hmm. other side is Planned Parenthood, and yeah. it's literal and metaphorical. It's a, yeah, both. <laughs> yeah, yeah, both. And I, I saw some TV shows, and they depict pro-lifers as villains. And, mm -hmm. or unreasonable people or scheming people on the other side of the fence. Mm -hmm. What I like about your book is you seem to have good relationships with the pro-lifers on the other side. Is this common? Mm -hmm. how, how important is establishing good relationships as opposed to marching in a Grim Reaper costume? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's really important. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think I would be here today mm -hmm. Like I, I may be 
you know, I think I'd be out of the clinic, but I don't, I don't think I would be here like as a pro-lifer mm. speaking publicly, doing what I'm doing. Mm. Right. I don't, I don't think I'm pretty sure I would not be doing what I'm doing today if it mm. hadn't have been for the relationships that I had established, um, with people in the pro-life movement. Um, That is so important. Those relationships are so incredibly important because I needed to be able to go to people I could trust. Mm. I Mm. needed to be able, you know, when they told me, Abby, if you ever want to leave, we'll help you. Mm. Mm. I needed to know that that was true. Mm. I needed to know that what they said was real. And because they had developed that relationship with me over time, I believe them, Mm. you know, I trusted them. Mm. And if they had been screaming at me for eight years, right. (laughs) Or if they had been out in a grim reaper costume (laughs) for eight years, you know, yelling in my face, Mm. I wouldn't have trusted their Mm. word. Mm. Right. But because they had been kind to me and because they had developed a relationship with me when they, whatever they said to me, I believe them. Mm. And I believe that they were honest. Mm. Yeah, I, I love the characters in the book. I'm not sure how much of the names are real. I haven't <laughs> did a search yet. There's a message. Yeah, in the no, b- they're all real. <laughs> yeah, it's all real. Yeah, but yeah. but there are some names that you changed, right? Or, or not of the pro-lifers. Not mm-hmm. of the pro. Okay, all the pro-lifers okay. are real. Yeah. Okay, good to know. There, there's a message yeah. in the book that that is often neglected by some pro-life. Uh, it, th- by some in the pro-life side, and this is prayer and to trust God. Yeah. And oftentimes, we are so drenched into studying all the arguments mm-hmm. against abortion, preparing for debates. But one thing we forget sometimes is to pray. And I I always hear 40 Days for Life in advertisements. I hear it, I hear it in Daily Wire, but I never stopped and searched what it's all about until I read in your book. So I, I think that's one lesson that I learned from the book, that the power of prayer. Yeah, yeah my mom, people ask my mom, you know, a lot of parents, like moms mm. will ask my mom, you know, they'll mm. say, oh, my daughter, you know, is pro-choice or, you know, my daughter is living a homosexual lifestyle. And, mm. you know, what do I do? I, I feel like all I can do is pray. Yes. Yeah. And my mom says, you know, I used to feel like all I could do was pray for Abby, but she says, I realize now that it wasn't just all I could do. It was everything I could do. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes yes. we don't realize just how powerful prayer is. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, my parents prayed for me, I know, daily, you know, mm-hmm. and that's one of the reasons that oh. I that I left. Right. Yes. Yes. So it's not just, you know, prayer isn't just something that we're like, well, we don't know what else to do. So we're going to pray. Right. (laughs) That should be the first thing that we do is pray. Mm. And then if we have anything else to do, we can do it. Right. (laughs) I agree. But like the first thing that we should do is is go to the Lord in prayer. Nicely said. I know we're jumping around your conversion story. I, I encourage the listeners to pick up Abby's book Unplanned to read the rest of the story. I'd like to fast forward, and actually not fast forward. I'll talk about the ultrasound. <laughs> this mm-hmm. is the first chapter in the book, so it's really not yeah. doing a fast forward. And I tell you, Abby, whether you have seen the movie, read the book, or listened to it in Audible, 
the effect is powerful. It gave me goosebumps. So let's just tease the audience. Let's give them a few goosebumps as well. Can you tell us a bit about the ultrasound part of the story? Yeah, I mean, uh, I tell people if you can get through the first chapter of the book, you can get through the whole book. A lot mm. of times people are like, oh my gosh, I... I couldn't even, I, you know, the first chapter was so hard. I put it down and I'm like, no, if mm. you, you know, if you get through the mm. first chapter, you can make it through the whole book. The first chapter is the hardest. Yes. Um, and you know, that was the hardest part of my journey with Planned Parenthood. So I'm like, if you think it was hard to read, imagine what it was like for me. Right. Mm. I mean, seeing it live. Yeah. Um, so I uh, imagine what it was like for that baby. Right. Of course. I mean, yeah. so, mm. um, yeah, I mean, I basically was called in to assist in an abortion, and um, it was the first time I'd ever participated in this particular type of abortion. Mm. And uh, I watched a 13-week-old a baby um, fight and struggle for his life against mm. the abortion instruments. Mm. And there's a lot more detail in the book, and mm. obviously in the film, you... I mean, you watch you, this take place. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, I always say if one of the reasons I think abortion continues to escalate in our country is because well, around the world mm. is because the victim of abortion is unseen. Mm. You you don't see this baby die. Mm. Right. You can you can see the aftermath of abortion. You can see abortion, you know, image imagery. You can see, you know, mm. graphic images or whatever. But you don't actually see that child die. Mm. Um, you don't see that heart stop beating, right? And I think that's one of the reasons that abortion continues to grow worldwide. Mm. When you see a person die, um, it does something to your sense of justice. Um, it does something to your heart. It does something to your mind. Mm. It does something to your soul. Yeah. And uh, we're not seeing it. You don't mm. see that child. It's, the child is hidden. In the womb. And if people could see abortion, if they could see that child die, I think it would ignite their sense of justice mm. in their soul. And I think more and more people would turn against it. Yeah. And I know Dr. Bernard Nathanson had the same experience mm. and uh, like seeing the baby in the womb, how the baby is really a human being. Yeah. Abby, before we end, because in the Philippines, the pro-abortion groups here seem to employ the tactic of having it legal for the cases of rape, for instance. Sure. And I hear the same talking points like, if abortion here is not legal, women will resort to an unsafe back alley abortion. What's the best response to that? Because responding to the hard cases is, is hard. Mm -hmm. And their plan is to make you sound like you you don't have sympathy. Right. Like you don't care about women. Yeah. So, you know, we there. this has been studied um, quite extensively, actually, mm. in the United States. Um, these these cases of, of rape mm. um, and sexual assault. So what we know to be true is that women who have been victimized by sexual assault mm. um they have studied this thoroughly and what they have found is that women who conceive from sexual assault 
fare better emotionally if they choose to parent or place that child for adoption than women who choose to have an abortion. And they have looked at the why they've, they've looked at why this is. And what they found is that the women who choose to have abortions after sexual assault feel like they are being re-victimized. They feel like Mm -hmm. they are being Mm re-traumatized during the abortion and there's no sense of justice for them. Um, it doesn't make them unraped. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't provide any healing for them. It doesn't provide any sort of closure for them. And it provides, it, it causes another wound. So instead of one wound that they have to heal from the, the assault, now they're having to heal from two wounds, the assault and the abortion. Mm. Um, whereas women who choose to have their babies, um, what they find is that they find some sort of victory mm. in having the child. Um, and they they feel like they have obtained some sort of victory over the violence mm. that was perpetrated against them. This is consistent in every study that we have seen time and time again. So as someone who considers themselves to be an advocate for women, mm-hmm. there's no way that I can look at a woman who has been sexually assaulted and say, well, you know what? I think that you should choose an option that I know is going to be emotionally detrimental mm-hmm. for you mm-hmm. later in your life, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And that's abortion. There's mm-hmm. no way that I can I can say to a woman and say, I know this is going to be bad for you later. I know that this is going to, you know, possibly create suicidal ideation in you mm-hmm. or, you know, create depression or anxiety. I know that this is going to be super bad for you, but I think you should go ahead and choose abortion. <laughs> right. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, and even even uh, sorry to interrupt, even when you were a counselor in Planned Parenthood, I read the story that a rape victim came to you and she chose adoption yeah. uh, as a counselor. You, you were happy that yeah. time. So Yeah. And it's it just, you know, it's it's a it's a sad thing. It's a terrible thing when women women are victimized in that way. Mm-hmm. But what we need to provide them is hope and healing. And we don't need to continue to further abuse them and further traumatize them mm-hmm. by having them choose abortion. Thanks, Abby. We've come to the end of the episode. I'd like to thank you again for for everything that you do. I'd like to I'd like you to know that there were many instances in the book where I cried actually. No. <laughs> it was so well written. I, I can feel the emotion in every scene. The ultrasound of course drove me to tears. And the time you called the coalition for life. It's yeah. another one. Sorry if I'm giving away too much spoilers. No, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> so please invite the audience to your work and where can we follow you on social media? Sure. Some all of our social media. Um, if they just type in Abby Johnson, you'll find me. And um, and then, yeah, if they go to my website, it's just Abby, com, And mm. all of my socials are also there so they can click on them there. Okay, one final question. What comes to your mind whenever you hear the word, the phrase, birthing person? <laughs> uh, I think of liberal lies. That's what I think of. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Abby, 
for saying yes to God's call. You're an inspiration. Please pray for us here in the Philippines. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Okay, this has been another episode of the J.R. Show. At the end of the day, it will be night. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>